All right. Good morning, church. How are you guys? I have missed crossing. Uh, it is so good to be back to sing um, and uh, to see all you guys again. So hopefully I got to catch up with a few guys after uh, service. Uh, like Tim said, he gave me uh, one of the sermons in the top 10 series, and this topic is wisdom. Um, before I dive into that, I want to give you a quick, quick little update about me. Um, after graduating, I've been debating uh, grad school, and the Lord has put on my heart this summer to look at biblical counseling as a route to go forward. Um, I have a heart for counseling and for discipleship, and I'd love to use those two in church. So if you would be praying for me, um, and just that the Lord would direct my path as I try to uh, obey him and, and learn what I need to going forward, I would really, really appreciate that. Um, with that said, let's pray, give this time to the Lord, and dive into the topic of wisdom. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that instructs us about how to live wisely. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, that um, the study that I've done and the prayer that I've done would yield fruit here as you work and speak by your spirit uh, to teach us how to be wise and how to follow you uh, in the paths of wisdom. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remove distractions from us and allow us to uh, grasp this topic uh, as we talk about it today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're actually only going to be talking about half a verse today. Uh, So if you're not... um, We'll get super overwhelmed by uh, the amount of scripture we're looking at. It's uh, actually only four words in Hebrew. I'm not going to make you guys learn a ton of Hebrew today. It's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Or some translations have uh, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Okay, so we're going to dive into those. And, and as Tim asked me to talk about wisdom, this verse just stuck out like a sore thumb. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I was like... I have no idea what wisdom is, no idea what the fear of the Lord is, and how, how do all these ideas connect, and what does it really mean to be wise? Um, and so, let's just pick the verse apart, word by word. What is wisdom? And so, most of the time when we think about wisdom, we hear people talk about experience or age, that um, our elders are particularly wise. They've been through things, and we can come bring problems to them, and they'll give us wise counsel. And this is true, but the Bible, when it talks about wisdom, goes a little bit further. It, it has a picture of wisdom that can also mean skill. Now, the, um, the word in Hebrew is chokmah, from the back of your throat, chokmah, say it with me, chokmah. All right, good job. And so uh, chokmah is this word that means wisdom and skill, and um, it actually shows up a lot in Exodus. When we're building the tabernacle in the, in the wilderness, Moses brings together all these craftsmen who have chokmah about how to build various things. So he has a group of women who are able who have chokmah about how to turn goat's hair into yarn. And they use that to make these curtains for the temple. And then he finds a couple craftsmen, uh, Betzalel and Ocheliab, and they know how to make uh, things out of wood and gold. And they're the ones who make the frame of the temple. And they make the golden lampstand and the table for the presidents and the Ark of the Covenant and the altar. And all these things require a skill. It's a, it's a kind of practical thing. And so it's not we're just talking about some experience, some intellectual kind of wisdom. We're talking about this wisdom in action. But then we get a different portrait. 
And if you want to turn with me, we're going to look at Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, starting in verse 22. And it's really interesting because wisdom actually talks to us in Proverbs 8. Wisdom talks to us. And starting in verse 22, wisdom says, has already started to introduce uh, herself, uh, but it continues. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, from the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew the circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men." And so this is really curious because we see wisdom in the beginning with God. And wisdom is now part of how God creates everything. From the stars in the sky above to the depths of the sea below, the mountains, the valleys, the seas. All these things are touched by wisdom. And we see that God has shaped and ordered and woven chokmah into every piece of creation. What we come to learn about wisdom is that when we interact with God's creation, with that same chokmah, it yields itself to us. Now, this should make more sense when we look at some examples. Are any of you gardeners here? You like to grow plants or anything? You have a garden? Yeah? Okay, we have a few. So my grandmother and I are huge garden people, and this summer we grew just about anything you can in Pennsylvania. Um, And... We don't have a huge backyard, so it's kind of like all on top of each other. But we have like tomato plants and cucumbers and all kinds of spices. And what I realized as we were going through planting them earlier in the season was that all of them require different kinds of things. There are certain plants that need a lot of root space, some that just need a little bit. Some need more shade, some need less shade, some need more water, some need less water. And all these things. And, and so learning how God has designed a given plant, and I can use that understanding of how God has designed the world, and I can work according to it. I can give the plant what God has designed it to need, and it will give me lots of fruit. Now, this connects with lots of other things, that if I understand how God has built humans and their relationship with other people, then I can live according to that order, and I'll have deep, meaningful, healthy, edifying relationships. We could do the same thing with... Um, simpler things. Domesticating a horse. Um, like my sister's a horse girl right now. She's looking to be a, an equestrian. And so she's been talking to me about all these things. And so um, one of these ideas is um, like learning how horses work and how do you train a horse or how do you train a dog and understanding how God has designed these animals. You can train them. You can ride a horse. Um, And so all of these, coming back to our our concept, is as we live within God's order, these things flourish. They they respond in the way God designed them to be. 
And this has everything to do with wisdom. Because wisdom allows us to live in the world skillfully. This is a a definition my my professor gave in in his uh, wisdom literature class. Uh, He said, wisdom is skillful living within God's creation. Or skill for living in God's world. It's the ability to keep step with God's order. And so we learn how God has ordered the world, and we're able to live within it, and it flourishes. Make sense? Okay. Now, what's really cool, this is a little side tangent, um, in Genesis, when God creates humans, he gives them a role, a function. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the creatures that crawl on the ground. And when we understand what wisdom is, it, it makes sense that when we're living according to wisdom, all these things, we're, we're enabled to subdue the world and rule in this way that God has designed. We're not taking advantage of things. We're working within his order to live and be fruitful and subdue the earth in a, in a way that honors God with all we do. Okay. So that is wisdom. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? A lot of times when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it, it's framed in this idea of that the fear of the Lord has to be an emotion. That I must, I, maybe it's that I'm terrified of God or I feel a certain kind of awe or reverence for him. Uh, but it doesn't exactly capture what the fear of the Lord is. It's actually, um, it's religious language in the Old Testament. That... When, um, in the New Testament, when you have Gentiles who are converts to Judaism, they're called God-fearers. And so we get this inkling right away that there's something to do here with the worship of a person. Uh, 2 Kings 17.7 says this, that the people had sinned against the Lord their God, they had feared other gods, and walked in their customs and God condemns them for it. First Chronicles 16.25 and Psalm 96.4 say, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. And this immediately should remind us of the first commandment. You shall have no gods before me. And so in this sense, when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, it's you shall fear no gods before me. As I was reflecting on this, this week, I was struggling to figure out, what does this mean? Like, if I'm fearing God above other gods, I, it's not like we have a, a polytheistic culture right now that I can go down the street and worship Baal. Um, what does it mean in a culture of idols and things like that? And I prayed about it, and, and the Lord drew my attention to the second half of the phrase. It's the fear of the Lord. When your Bible has all caps, Lord, it's the divine name, I am. Um, And he brought to my attention, he's like, to to fear God is, is to fear all that I am. And you shouldn't seek another in my place. And as I thought about it, it just seemed to make sense more and more that when when we love the Lord, we want nothing but him. And when we fear the Lord, we look to nothing but him. When we love the Lord, we want nothing but him. And when we fear the Lord, we look to nothing but him. And so if God says, I am king, 
don't dethrone him. Don't find another to put in his place as your king. If God is healer, don't take him off that role and try to find another God for those things. Another idol and say, I'll trust in this thing more than the Lord. All that he says he is, and he is higher and you know, better than anything else we could put in that place. This is because God is on the throne. He has all the power, all the authority. His will is the one that's being accomplished, and he loves us. There is no better God out there. There is no stronger God out there. The Lord alone reigns. Amen. Amen. Oh, we're starting the amen. Good job. (laughs) And so, uh, listen to a couple verses. Jeremiah says, he praises God. He says, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. And God says in Isaiah, to whom will you compare me or make me equal? Who will you measure me with so that we should be like each other? Remember this and be brave. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. We just see God exalted above everything else. And this is the fear of the Lord, to recognize him in that place and to hold him there and not take him down. Now, I want to go back to this emotion picture because the fear of the Lord can actually make us feel a lot of different ways. That perhaps if I'm against the Lord, if I'm disobeying him or going against his purposes, well, I have right to be terrified because I'm opposing one who cannot be opposed. And maybe I'm obeying him and following his purpose, and there I don't need to be so terrified. I can actually be confident, because he is the one who fights, and anyone who stands against me as I obey him is standing against him. And so I want to look through some examples. So let's look in Scripture. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and um, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, when all the other officials bowed down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image, they stood up. And when Nebuchadnezzar brought them before him and said, bow down to my idol, or you will die in a furnace, they stood up to him and said, we will not worship your idol, O king. Our God is the only true God. You can kill us if you'd like. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we will still not worship. It's a fear that allows King David, before he was king, uh, to sleep sound while Saul's armies are searching for his life. When he's hiding in mountains, in little caves and sleeping there, he, he writes... Uh, Psalms, and he says, though tens of thousands seek my life, I'll lie down, I'll fall asleep, and I'll wake up again, because the Lord is my sustainer. He is my protector. He is the one who's watching over me. This is a, it's, it's a powerful fear here. It's a, it's a fear that withholds Joseph from committing adultery with Potiphar's wife. Where he says, how could I do so great an evil? 
and sin against my God. It's a fear that emboldens Moses in the face of Pharaoh's army to say, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the Lord's salvation, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. It's a fear that crushes David's spirit when he sins with Bathsheba and kills Uriah. And he cries out in Psalm 51, he says, Have mercy on me, O God. My sin is always before me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is a a fear that strengthens Peter and John when they're standing before the elders and they say to him, judge for yourselves whether it's right that we listen to you or listen to God. We can't stop testifying about what we have seen and heard about Jesus. This is a, a fear that gives Elijah great confidence and he taunts the prophets of Baal saying, shout louder, he's surely he's a god, maybe he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling, or something. Maybe you have to just be louder, and he'll wake up. It's a, it's a fear that grips John in his apocalyptic vision, as he watches God judge the world, and destroy sin and death once and for all, and bring his people to a new creation, to live with him forever. It's a fear of the Lord that knows the terror of his holiness and wrath. It's a fear that knows the might of the Lord's hand and word. It's a fear that knows to stand unafraid of human powers and spiritual forces of evil. It's a fear that dare not oppose God and his commands or his purposes, but knows also to rest in them. It's a fear that knows to tremble in God, at God and be still as he fights for them. That's this picture of the fear of the Lord. Okay, now that we have these two concepts, we're going to try to connect them. We have one word left, the beginning. Uh, and this word, pretty straightforward. Um, the only thing is, it's not the beginning in time. It's not that I start learning wisdom because I fear God and then I graduate to something else. This is beginning in the sense that it is the origin, it's the source, it's the, the root of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That wisdom flows out of a fear of the Lord. And this should make sense if we connect these two ideas that when we're acknowledging God as the creator, the ruler, and the sustainer of all that is, that he is on the highest throne and no one is above him, well then, which is the fear of the Lord, then we're going to try to learn how to live according to the way he's made the world, the way he's ordered the world, and that's wisdom. We recognize who God is, we live inside his order. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the root of wisdom. And what we come to find is that this wisdom and this you know, as we learn who God is and what this wisdom looks like, we find that it is good, pleasing, and perfect. God has designed life for humans, fortunately, to be incredible for us. That that command in Genesis to be fruitful, multiply, to flourish, to fill the earth and subdue it and to rule, this is all connected with us being satisfied in God and being loved by him and that he dwells with us forever. It's just this beautiful picture of humans being satisfied and loved by God enjoying him. Um, it's like the, the catechism. Uh, what is the chief end of man? 
to love God and enjoy him forever. Now, unfortunately, now we have this picture. There are so many times that we do not live according to wisdom. And what do we do with those? To look at times where we haven't feared the Lord and we haven't chosen the path of wisdom. If we just use our definitions and invert them, it means that there's been many, many, many times in our lives where we haven't recognized that God is the one who's created the universe. and We've treated it like it's something we can throw away or abuse for our own purposes, that we can be the God of the universe, that um, he's not the one who's ruling and we uh, succumb to fear of other things and we uh, look to other idols in our life to give us uh, what we think we want and need and deserve. It means that when we choose the path of folly, instead of living according to God's order and maintaining it in the universe, we're bringing disorder and chaos and destruction into our lives and the lives of the people around us. Make no mistake, our sin is not isolated. There is nothing that you can do in private that isn't in your heart in public, and that comes out in your words, in your eyes, in your actions, in how you use your time, how you use your money, etc. All these things affect what's going on. And so the sin and the, the folly and the disorder that happens, it's like our, our sin creates these tidal waves of destruction that touch everything and everyone around us. And it's terrible. I was just reading Revelation yesterday, and I found this interesting verse. It's a Revelation eleven eighteen, And God looks at humans and what they've done to the world, and he calls them destroyers of the earth. Destroyers of the earth. And I was like, well, what a fitting picture here as we take this picture of folly that we're undoing God's creation. We're, we're refusing to obey his order. We're trying all kinds of bad ways to do things, and we destroy his world, his people, his design for how things should be. I was looking at Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 then. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And, and seeing, you know, the picture from this lens of we're destroying God's beautiful creation, I was like, why wouldn't he just stop us? And, and Isaiah's answer, God's answer in Isaiah, um, flips the, the table and he says, hey, listen, I'm, I'm not like you. That where you would expect me to just stop your chaos, I have sent Jesus. And Jesus comes into the world. He suffers under our sin. He lives and suffers through the disorder that we have created. And he dies because of our sinning. The, the sin and death that we've brought, now he suffers and dies under. But he does this so that he can bring wholeness to the things we've broken. He does this so that he can bring healing to the things that we've damaged. That he can renew the things that we've thrown away and redeem the things We've abandoned. Jesus comes with this life-giving order in the form of grace and forgiveness and power. 
renew all the brokenness that folly brings with it and to teach us the way of wisdom. Perhaps you're there today. You're looking at your life and you think, oh wow, I've walked the path of folly too often. And I see the destruction that it's caused in my life and people's lives around me, my relationships, my relationship with God. I have good news for you today. The road to wisdom is open. Jesus is your guide. He is the one who is able to transform your heart that's been broken and your life that's been destroyed by sin and folly. And perhaps you've begun to walk this road of wisdom and you're realizing it's just infinitely deep. And you're like, I I don't know anything. I thought I knew things and now I, I realize I don't know anything. And for you, I also have good news. Jesus is your guide to deep wisdom. James writes that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously and without reproach. God is not asking you to, to hold up and say, well, you know, let me ask, tell me why you really want this wisdom and, and I'll think about it. He's, he will give wisdom. It's the way he designed the world. He wants you to live wisely. And so God invites you to leave folly and pursue wisdom by the power of Jesus and his grace that he has conquered sin and death and has been given authority over all things and he is making all things new. Amen? Amen. All right, if you will just pray with me as we close. Lord, I confess there's many, many things in my life that have been broken because I have not chosen the path of wisdom and I haven't feared you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would, by the power of your resurrection life, work in my heart to heal the things that are broken and sinful within me that I would learn wisdom. God, that you would be working as we grow to renew the world around us according to wisdom, that we would show people what it looks like to follow Jesus and live by his grace, that we have life, that though we're wasting away, yet we still live, and we have a hope that you will return and make all things new. Though some things are still broken here, Father, You are making them all new. And for all the brokenness and sin around us, you are at work. And you're not going to stop until it's beautiful. Lord, I ask that you'd encourage our hearts to fear you. That you would convince us that you are truly the one on the throne. You have all authority. And nothing stands in your way. That we would trust you and follow you with our whole hearts and lives. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.